Live from Chicago, this is WGN-TV political analyst Paul Lisnick. I'm in substituting for my friend Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics. Featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Pat Brady, Marge Halperin, Nick Kacharubis, and Mike Miller. Our program coming to you from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in beautiful downtown Chicago. The website, www.beyondthebeltway.com. And good evening, everybody. Welcome to Beyond the Beltway. Good to be in for Bruce this evening. And uh, lots to talk about. So much to talk about this evening for the next couple of hours. Let me introduce my panel to you. Joining me is Nick Kacharubis. He's an associate teaching professor in the School of Public Service at DePaul University. Nick, good to see you. Marge Halperin is a Democratic analyst for WGN-TV's Morning News, where I get to see you, Marge, and also executive vice president and partner at the Hawthorne Strategy Group in Chicago. A new venture for you. Congratulations. And associate professor of economics at DePaul University, specializing in applied macroeconomics. Michael Miller joins us. He's a faculty mentor for the College Republicans and the Young Americans for Freedom. And Pat Brady, former chair of the Illinois Republican Party and CEO and founder of Next Generation Strategies. Welcome all. It's been a big week. Earlier in the week, we, of course, had uh, elections around the country, a lot of attention focused in Virginia especially and New Jersey and some other states, a big week for Democrats. And then this guy named Roy Moore, Alabama, rears its head during the week as allegations of sexual misconduct uh, one would argue predatory behavior uh, involving a 14-year-old girl and other girls came out, allegations of about 30 years ago. And so all of that merged together for a very lively week of analysis and commentary from both sides of the aisle. Nick Katrubis, let me just start with you. Your reaction to, I'm going to combine some of those things, Democratic wins, but at the same time, the Roy Moore situation overshadows it all. Well, I, let me first start with the uh, elections on Tuesday. I, I, I would say that, particularly in Virginia, I don't know if it was necessarily a surprise that the Democrats picked up that seat, uh, that governor's race, uh, but it's the percentage uh, of that that uh, the Democratic candidate was able to win by that I think is a little bit troubling as we go into this next year elections for other governors, um, and it, it is a, a sign of... of sort of reaction to the Trump administration and some of, of the reactions people have uh, just around the country. And that's, I think, the fear. Um, we still have some time before those elections, but that's uh, uh, the trend that we're seeing here now. And uh, we'll go back for the Roy Moore. Uh, Marge, you know, as Nick said, yeah, nine-point spread between the candidates in Virginia for governor. That was a surprise. But Republicans have responded by saying, you know what, Virginia, essentially, it's a blue state now anyway. Pretty much a Democratic governor, except for one in the last 20 years. Well, there's a lot more to the story, too, besides the governor's race, because in the Virginia legislature, Democrats picked up, uh, they had 34 seats, now they have 40, led mostly by women. Uh, and in fact, nationally, the elections were really marked by the number of women, immigrants, uh, 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 transsexual, people, uh, LGBT, uh, the whole list, uh, people who have not run for office before. This is the Trump backlash that is happening in elections 
and local politics across the country where people are standing up and saying, I haven't been involved, but I'm going to be now. Trump uh, led the backlash of white males. Well, the whole rest of us are standing up to say we want to be counted too. And I think uh, we saw some really interesting trends that I hope will carry us into 2018. Mike Miller, backlash uh, against Republicans and especially the Trump agenda? Or is it just that we're shifting into that off-year election cycle when the other party, uh, out of power, tends to do well? I believe that's part of it. <clears throat> There's one other thing. A couple of weeks ago when there were all these um, special elections and the Republicans were winning, I didn't hear all this about, oh, this is, a, a, this is proof that everything's going, going forward for the Republicans. The, the mainstream press didn't really pick it up. They, I, as far as I can tell, they completely ignored it until a – and I'm not a Trump supporter. understand that. I'm not even a Trump supporter. I just think this is uh, one win in a blue state by a guy who was expected to win. I don't see and, – and I know they talk about, well, Washington State had some Democrats win. Well, Washington State is full of Democrats, old hippies and liberals. That's all that live in Washington State. And, but, and so it just – it seems to me that there's going to be good times, there's going to be bad times for both parties. And if we believe for one second that we know what will happen between now and next November – we're nuts because things me, happen from week to week to week. Let me just bring Pat Brady in. Speaking of old hippies, uh, <laughs> so Pat, former former chair, <laughs> former chair of the Illinois Republican Party. But if you had been chair of the Virginia Republican Party, how worried are you out of this elections? Uh, well, I, I, listen. I think Virginia. I used to live in Virginia. Virginia is not a blue state. It's a. It's kind of a purple state. It's trending more blue. It's always been a state. It's been in play in the presidential races. But the most disturbing statistic to me was the margin of victory by the Democrat uh, amongst uh, single educated women. And that's a group that Republicans need to keep or do as well as they did in the last election if we're going to win any election. So that to me is very disturbing. And there were some things. There is a lot more energy right now on the Democratic side. Um, as Marge talked about, I think 10 women, uh, 10 of the 14 wins were women. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're raising a lot more money. And I'm not sure if it's necessarily backlash, but I think there's a lot of energy on the Democratic side. But I do agree none of this translates into 2018. You know, and to, to your point, Pat, and to Mike's point, I do think, though, um, that the number of House wins, because it wasn't um, – and typically in a, a non-presidential after election year, um, there is some backlash to any president. We saw this with President Obama. But the number of seats um, that are, are, are affecting countywide elections, that are affecting some of these city count uh, city elections, I think – I think it's it's important for Republicans if they want to uh, learn from this and sort of, of move move directions before 2018 to pay attention so that they don't have the groundswell uh, that that seems to be brewing with uh, the elections of Tuesday night. Marge, when you look at New Jersey, for example, I'm assuming even you as a as a staunch Democrat would not say that's Trump backlash, or would you? Is this was that really a response in New Jersey to Chris Christie, lowest approval ratings of any governor I believe in the history of polling? I think he, and now we have. I think Rod Bogoyevich had him beat. Oh well, Christie was at fifteen. Rod was at thirteen. <laughs> and we have a president with historic low rate ratings as well. I, you know, it's all a jumble with Christie. What do you dislike the most about him? If you're a voter, you know, is it the corruption that that stopped people on the bridge? Is it uh, the denial, the backlash, or is it him standing there faithfully like a puppy dog next to Trump? 
over and over again, uh, you know, while Trump says these most absurd policies, most absurd criticisms of others, and he just stands there and takes it over and over again. So I certainly don't think Trump helped improve his image um, at some level dissecting the backlash against Christie is not of national importance, I think, in, in the way that, that you're saying. But but I do think the the message continues to be, and it has been every day since Trump was elected, starting with the ma- massive women's marches around the country, um, and continuing now is that at the grassroots, Democrats are organized in a way they have not been uh, before. I think there's a massive wake-up call. But yeah, Okay, in the 60s there were other places before where we had some um, strong organization, but certainly not in recent years um, have Democrats had this grassroots uh, organization, uh, more candidates who have never run before, people participating in the process who have not done so before. All right, we're going to continue this. I mentioned Roy Moore before. We haven't gotten him, but we're going to get to him right after the break. We'll continue that conversation with Beyond the Beltway in just a couple minutes. Stay with us. And we are back on Beyond the Beltway. This is Paul Lisnick from WGN-TV. I'm sitting in for Bruce Dumont tonight, and I am joined by some great people, Nick Cacharubis and uh, Marge Halperin, Pat Brady, Mike Miller. Welcome again all. Let's, let's turn now to that discussion of Roy Moore. Uh, it sort of overshadowed the elections, although we chatted about the elections. Um, actually, I'm going I'm to start with you on this one, Pat Brady, because if you're, again, former chair of the Illinois Republican Party, uh, if you were in Alabama and <laughs> your, your nominee for the Senate uh, had the allegations that at one point he had uh, propositioned a 14-year-old uh, girl uh, and some other underage people when asked about it, by the way, in an interview, his comment was he never went out with anybody without their mother's permission. Did that gun give you comfort? Uh, not as a father of four daughters or three daughters. Um, I, we, we have problems in Alabama. Uh, the last couple of days, the the polling is coming out. That race is, is right now is a dead heat. And, and as this, I think, bruise when the national news gets down into the local news and they actually start doing more investigations, I think it's going to get worse. But the lesson to, for me is uh, is is this: this Steve Bannon movement within the Republican Party is a, desa- a disaster for us. He's not a traditional conservative. He's out there, and he, he's he supports candidates like this more. If you look at what Moore stands for, nine uh, eleven was payback for for gay people. Um, doesn't believe that Muslims can be in Congress. Um, his getting kicked off the bench twice because of the Ten Commandments issue. This guy's a whack job. I know you can't say that anymore, but he is. And this is a total Steve Bannon project. So the more people on my party line up with Steve Bannon, the more elections we're going to lose, just like we did. And I love the Tea Party people, but we lost four or five Senate races in Nevada and Pennsylvania and a couple other places, Missouri, where we could have won had we not had these far extreme right litmus test type candidates. We have the same thing here in Illinois with the Illinois Policy Institute. It's just, it's just a smaller version of what Bannon's doing. And if we're going to continue to do that as a party, we're going to continue to lose general elections. Nick, how do you explain what some would call hypocrisy, uh, but in, in Alabama where you have some of these people making comparisons to what uh, Moore allegedly did to Joseph and Mary and because Mary was underage and they were the parents of, and, and, and Moore's brother who started talking about this being a Christ-like situation. These are, these are religious people. These are Bible-supporting people. You would think they would be the first to turn on him, but many have said They'd rather see him in there than a Democrat. Nothing would be worse than a Democrat. Is that that hypocrisy or is that just values? I think that this is where we've seen in the last 10 to 20 years a a pairing of Republican philosophy with conservative religion ideology. And unfortunately, there are some people that if, you know, 
any Republican is better than any Democrat. And I think you, we need to go back to a system where we separate those things um, and look at people um, um, base, based on a system of values, not necessarily party labels. And I, I, unfortunately, I don't think that's happening in Alabama. Marge, I'm you- sorry, just in real- Barry Goldwater, the founder of the conservative movement for a lot of us, said in 1964-65, if the social conservatives get a hold of the conservative movement, they'll kill it. And that's what they're doing here. If you put the Bible ahead of the Constitution, then you're never going to win elections. But it's a selective reading of the Bible. That's what I don't understand. How do you, how do you uh, reconcile the behavior, not just of Roy Moore, but of uh, Trump himself? You know, how do you listen to the tapes of Trump? Look at the litany of things from having women parade across tables so we can look up their skirts. Uh, how, how about this? How about this? So let's, let's go back 20 years and, and the same outrage that I felt when the, the Democratic president of the United States had sex with an intern in the Oval Office. See, so the there, there's the hypocrisy we get from both this sides. This is the thing. It, it's quick and, and it. Republicans can't defend Trump. Republicans. I'm not defending Trump, but, but, but when you but should when you should have been when you should have been criticizing Trump. President Clinton, when the father of Monica Lewinsky should have been stepping up criticizing President Clinton, he ruined her life. Have you seen her life lately? I and I didn't that. hear well, one leading. I didn't know. Yes, I didn't I've see one leading lately, feminist come that, out and say this is bad. I think but you'll do it when it's a Republican. That. I think you're wrong about that. It's an easy name. Who came out? To make and, who came I out? Did Gloria well, Steinem come out? Did you come out? Well, arguably, for, well, Bill Clinton well, was I, impeached I for one thing. That. So there, there was certainly an action that took against him. He was impeached uh, for that or for lying. But Marjorie, let me just ask you. But the Democrats didn't say anything. I just don't want to let it lie about changing the subject so smoothly. Not changing the subject. It's a hypocrisy. Finish what I was saying. Well, because you're not. You're not. You're not answering so. my point. Why, when are you going to say something? You, you, and listen, I'm not a Trump supporter either, but the hypocrisy on the Democratic side that when Bill Clinton with this whole thing and did just as you want to go through a litany yeah. of things that Bill Clinton like did with and two women. Well, let me finish. I would let you finish as soon as I'm done because we take turns. I think that's the plan. Let, but it's let, what let, Nick let, said about evangelicals and how they can't reconcile the vote because they've become so intensely partisan with their following of the religious teaching. That's the part that still mystifies me. I don't know how you can support someone like Roy Moore who has to ask a mom for permission to date a daughter and pick her up around the corner from his house, and that seems okay because he's not a Democrat. Mike Miller, let me me come to you, Mike, because one one of the things that uh, uh, Republicans, some Republicans have responded is by saying, look, these are allegations. He has denied them. He deserves the benefit of the doubt. In fact, that was going to be my view. When I look at him, he, he gives me the creeps. I, I think he's a creepy guy. And do I believe that some of this may have happened? Some of it may have. But it was 40 years ago. It is absolutely impossible for there to be any proof of this. And we could easily destroy a man's career, and these people could simply walk away. That's the point I want to jump in. in, in I'm in a university. Do you know how many times there have been hoaxes on university campuses where what appear to be people telling us absolutely the truth, that there was this racist graffiti or this sexist thing happened to them, and it turned out to be nothing but a hoax. This they lied like, through their damn teeth. It has nothing me, to do with one individual, individual Nick, case. Nick, so, Nick, catch Rubis. Let, let, me, let me just say that in America... You know, sex and politicians sells, and it sold 20 years ago. It sells today. People pay attention, and and we like to pretend our politicians are better than the rest of the general public. But they're they, they should be held to the to higher standards. But at the end of the day, we continue to talk about it. It continues to play in the news. Here's the thing, though. I'm I'm a little concerned with what's going on. I'm not saying that people should not speak out about things that have happened, but when it 
when there seems to be a court of public opinion about what allegations are true and when they come out and people are being judged and losing jobs and things like that, where there's, there's not a, a system where this can be judged accordingly. Again, we have a situation where we're potentially a Senate candidate may, you know, may be affected greatly by this, and then a presidential candidate who, or president who has said things um, and, and has been able to ke- keep his job. I, there, there has to be a way to judge this, a way to vet these things, and we need to look to a system as a public to do that, and it shouldn't just be in the press and the, and, and the, and the Well, exactly. Pat Brady, clearly there's a sea change going on now. There's a New York Times article of just uh, yesterday or the day before, a list of all the people who in recent days uh, have been accused. You've seen that, so I mean, I, and I'm not going to read them all. And, but they're Louis, all ma- and they're all men. Well, they're, they're all men. All Louis C.K. And, uh, and Andy Dick and Ken Baker from E! News and Kevin Spacey, of course, Hamilton Fish, president publisher of the New Republic, Mark Hal you can go on and on. There's, there's Democrats, there's Republicans, there's conservatives, there's liberals. And some would say, Pat, there is something, not that it's in the water, but Democrats are looking and saying that's because the president in the White House had admitted to some of this behavior. And maybe around the country, women coming out now, they've just had enough. Well, I mean, that's probably and hopefully, hopefully true that people are, do feel empowered now to come out because it's, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. And I'm not defending what President Trump said or any of these people did. Roy Moore to me. Whether he's guilty or not, he's a pervert. The whole thing is weird. It is, exactly. and, and, and whether he's guilty, I think Mitt Romney said it best, it's not, it's not proof beyond a reasonable doubt, it's proof in the political realm. And in the political realm, he's dead and he's hurting my party. My point is, this, the outrage from the Democrats or the blood in the water, I didn't get the same outrage from the Democrats, the leadership, particularly the, the female leadership of the Democratic Party when Bill Clinton was, was having sex with an intern in the White House. It That's my just, point. It isn't just Bill Clinton. When, when Hillary Clinton was running for president, there was a the person spoke out was Juanita Broderick, who, appro- who accused um, Bill Clinton of, of essentially rape. And she dismissed her like she was nothing. And I, I, maybe she isn't. But don't tell me that this is, oh, 20 years ago and we dealt with it. No, I'm sorry. This was just as recently as the twenty as the election, that was their mo. And she attacked every woman that attacked her husband. She attacked. And what did they do? They destroyed these women. They destroyed these. These are not accusations were, were forty years ago. Kathleen Willey was like from months before, and they destroyed that woman. And they destroyed uh, Monica Lewinsky. Paula they destroyed, Jones. And they they talked about dragging a hundred dollar bill through uh, trailer uh, parks. And what do you think you're going to get? You're going to get Paula Jones. These are all the things that the Democrats said. I, I just, wasn't a Democrat, and I agree. It was Hillary Clinton. It was the Clintons. Oh this was God, their yes. attack. That was their attack mechanism. You attack the victim. That's correct, and that's what they did. And I, and again, I, I think that Moore should step down. But I, I, I'm, I'm bothered by the fact that things, forty years ago, can come back, and there is absolutely no way for us to find the truth. Well, and, and, and you were prepared to destroy a man's life. Over something that is forty years old. But remember, there were also thirty. There were thirty corroborating witnesses in that Washington Post article. Marge is a journalist. I'm getting it. There are ways to prove it. And I, as a woman who has participated uh, in the Me Too movement, who has plenty of examples from the broadcast world and otherwise, I can share with you. uh, I I would say that I don't want to live in a country where you can't bring up accusations after some period of time. Not when the power structure exists the way it did, and when it can be. Proven. I can destroy it you can anytime. You just, you just watch. Don't you step out of line. So, I'm going to destroy you. So, what That's kind of government terrible. candidates That's are we actually have at this point? I, I think there's. I, I, I'm not I, a I Roy Moore defender here, but I no. also go. At what point is too long? I'm not saying that that the the, the they don't have the people that have because 
you know, I'm not saying that people don't have a good point or the people that have been harmed shouldn't have an opportunity to do that. But what point can you completely destroy somebody's life? What point um, do, you know, does we as a culture have to come to some sort of agreement on that and, and, and decide that? And I would also say it's not just one woman coming forward who is destroying Roy Moore's chances. Uh, and maybe she's not even destroying it because the polls are showing he's, his support uh, is still pretty strong in Alabama. But it's what Pat said earlier. It's a whole litany of things that he has done that are making people uncomfortable. This is the straw that's breaking this camel's back. It's not one woman's accusation. It is documented by many other witnesses. It's several other women who had the same experience. It's men and women who were lawyers with him at the time and this, saw it happen. And this conversation, of course, has taken over the airways, but there's other things to talk about, like the tax plan. We're going to do that. You're listening to Beyond the Beltway. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. And we are back on Beyond the Beltway. I'm Paul Listick from WGN-TV, sitting in for Bruce Dumont tonight, joined by Nick Kacharubas, Associate Teaching Professor in the School of Public Service at DePaul University. Marge Halperin is a Democratic Analyst for WGN-TV's Morning News and Executive Vice President and Partner at the Hawthorne Strategy Group in Chicago. Mike Miller, Associate Professor of Economics at DePaul with a specialization in microeconomics. We're going to tap into that soon. Yeah, I want you to know that. And, of course, Pat Brady, uh, the CEO, founder of Next Generation Strategies, former chair of the Illinois Republican Party. All right, we've talked a lot about Roy Moore, but there, as I mentioned before, a lot of other names came out uh, this week, a lot of celebrities. And it all seemed to start with Harvey Weinstein uh, as the biggest name, and then all these other ones followed. But the question I want to ask you uh, and start here, Nick, um, is um, Louis C.K. So he got accused, but he said, I did it. I'm guilty. I uh, abused uh, my situation. So what is the proper way for, be it a celebrity or a politician, to handle this stuff? Do you fess up to it? Because, by the way, he's now ruining his career. Kevin Spacey, probably done. We don't know. So that's the question, I think, is is the deeper question here, is um, as a culture, I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that, that these events aren't traumatic in people's lives, but to what point do people who, who have, may have even done these things, what is the right way for them to handle it? Um, how do we move on? How do we seek culture? Do we want politicians that have never done anything wrong in their life? I mean, I don't think that's true of, of society. I mean, I think we, there are things that have happened to, to a lot of people. Um, and, it, you know, how, you did what, say politicians are held to a higher standard. I, I do believe that they're held to a higher standard, but, but as a, as a, Somebody who may have done one of these things or, or some of these things, and, and again, there's degrees to what might be acceptable, but how do we want as a public somebody to handle that? What's the right way? Um, is it right to say I did it and say I'm sorry and have sought treatment? To what degree? This is the point of the 40 years of the Roy Moore situation where I, I have an issue. Is to, so what happens if somebody did something 70 years ago? Um, does that mean that they're, you know, they can never do anything before? I, this is the debate I think that we well, need to Mar- have as a Mark Halpern, let me ask you. We can focus in on these, th- this conduct, but let's put it aside for a moment if we can. The point is Roy Moore also has said publicly 
he believes that the Bible is higher law than the U.S. Constitution. And some people just don't understand that. Um, and, of course, gay rights and all these other issues, he's very conservative. But that's the, part, that's the divide in this country on social issues. I do want to focus in on the, the Bible is higher than the Constitution in terms of passing laws, making decisions. Isn't that where Democrats should go if you're going to try and keep people from voting? Or is it that if you're in a fairly religious state like Alabama, well, maybe a lot of people think the Bible's rules are more important than the Constitution's when it comes to making laws? Well, I I think the thing that is most astounding about that is those who carry the Bible and hold it tightest in public life often are the ones who have the most to apologize for uh, to their own God. And I, I don't understand how... Uh, the evangelical vote, and and you brought this up earlier, Nick, can continue to follow Roy Moore and Donald Trump when they... Their behavior is so antithetical to the Bible and the behavior that they claim to uphold. That contradiction in itself is is something that is mystifying to me. It's not my background, but I don't understand. Certain, you know, you used to joke about uh, the people who go to church in the morning and then um, you know stop drinking for drinks in the and afternoon. drive drunk in the <laughs> afternoon and right. Well, so, but I this is that times a hundred. Pat, look, you're you're in the business of understanding how people think politically, and this is something you've done for many, many years. I mean, I have to admit, even after the last presidential election, there were a lot of people who just thought when the, when the uh, tape came out with, with uh, then-candidate Donald Trump or this stuff, that evangelicals, religious people, man, they're done with you. What, what is it that says, no, they're actually willing to overlook that because... I think they, they like a lot of what um, Donald Trump says and, and the way he does and the way he, he runs things. I mean, I think they cut a deal with him ignoring some of the things that maybe they should have paid attention to. I think there's a lot of issues that they agree with him on a lot of the tough talk that he makes on a lot of different issues. Evangelicals uh, like that, but the, you know, I more, I guess talking about the election and you have a guy on tape saying what he said and, and he still wins to me, the Democrats put up the worst candidate, <laughs> the, the only candidate they could, could have put lost. up that, that lost and she did it. And there right now, the democratic party is in much, even with all the stuff we're talking about with Roy Moore, they're in much worse shape Nationally, I think having an infight between and Marge talks about the activism, which is great, but it's all on the far, far left and the far, far left does not win national elections. If you look at the issues, if you go four or five issues, economic health care, the Republicans where the conservative part of the, the fiscal conservative part of the Republican Party stands is much more in line with what voters want than f- free college or the free things at the far, far left. That I, I, I that's that. a mistake if you presume all the activists in the Democratic Party are the far, far left. There is certainly a faction that is still uh, from the Bernie Sanders movement, but but it is far more diverse among Democrats. Um, I was at an all-city meeting this weekend of uh, Indivisible Chicago, and there are people from all different factions of the Democratic Party who are united as activists now. Mike, well, I want to talk about the fighting in, fighting in the Democrats, but with regard to the Republican yeah. Party, a yeah. deep divide. Yeah, there is. And, and clearly, I can't accept, as one who thinks that the Constitution is the most important document ever written by human beings, and they, they, in a sense, the Bible can't trump that. I'm sorry. But maybe we could use what was the major, play, the major point of the Democrats when they faced this problem, that there is a difference between what you do in your private life and what you do in your public life. 
So the reason they were able to take Bill Clinton and ignore everything he did to all these women and destroy those women is because, well, he's really good in his public life, and you can separate. You can be a pig in your private life and be a perfectly good person in your public I life. I would never say that. Statement. Well, I'm sorry. At most every damn Democrat I, w- I have been talked to did this. This is what they argued. Don't I mean? I, I remember would never what they talked about one of the I forget but which it's easy to famous feminist to Clinton because because what you I'm, have on I'm the looking table, for some kind defend. of philosophical nobody's defending it. right exactly I've nobody's defending Roy Moore. I don't like pigs at all. I don't this if what has been said about Moore. I don't like him. He just he's creepy to begin with. But don't go and tell me that somehow I'm going to get my presidential knee pads. Remember that expression. That I don't care that you're a pig because you're going to vote for the way I want you to vote on abortion. I'll get my presidential knee pads and I'll pleasure you. Well, this is what these women said. I'm, I, I, and, and I don't now, know who all you're sudden, quoting well, let me, there, let me, but I, 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 I just Mark, would like to point out on. one more statistic out of Alabama, which is 37% of evangelicals surveyed said the allegations against Roy Moore make them more likely to vote for him in the upcoming well, election. He's down four points as of well, and, and this is my point back to the election earlier and with Roy yeah, Moore. Wait, 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 the way you cite that out there is like evangelicals are somehow saying that this is okay. They're not saying that because they think the conduct's okay. They're saying that because they're angry, that they are buying into the argument, right or wrong, that the Washington Post and the establishment are against this guy. That's why they're with him. It has nothing to do with the underlying creepiness of him. It's more a reaction to establishment Their versus inability to e- evaluate what is being said about him and his and his past behavior because you put it in the right context at the beginning pat I mean, this is a this is a long history of creepy behavior just like bill clinton on either side of the aisle nick yeah i was just going to say that w- the more we talk about the roy moores and the more popular they get and and even in the the virginia elections i i do see a more polarization going on even though the american people are saying we want unity we are electing the people that were successful in Virginia, even in the House, they were tended to be more on the liberal scheme. And then, you know, so so this polarization issue is 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 being perpetrated more and more by by the more discussion. And we're losing less of that moderate faction in government these days. I do want to ask you, Marge, look, with with the Republican divide they've been dealing with, and some have said that the whole more situation is a gift to Democrats going forward. And then Donna Brazile comes out with her book, just a moment on this, where she talked about the election being rigged uh, for Hillary. Look, you're one year away from the 2018 midterm elections. Do you say, go, Donna, let's fix this, that's why you did it? Or do you say, Donna, maybe you needed to keep quiet a little bit longer? I would say, Donna, uh I appreciate you promoting your book, but you did overgeneralize in your publicity. And when she had her individual interviews, there was a lot more to say there about the arrangement that was made with the with the uh, Clinton campaign. There was a similar arrangement with the Sanders campaign, well, it was which they to the did Sanders not campaign. offer to them, and they did not. Uh, take advantage of that opportunity, um, did that. I, I, I don't like the way that arrangement was made with Clinton, the Clinton campaign, but I think it was not as uneven uh, as it was per- portrayed in the publicity. And when Donna Brazil was interviewed, she said that herself. She backed off. I think um, that there's some reckless publicity that happened around her book that I think was damaging, but let's have it out now. Let's talk about it as a party and resolve this, because I think 
there will always, it's easy to say a version of what Pat said about they picked the one candidate who couldn't win. They picked a candidate who did not win, but I uh, like to say there were 77,000 votes that kept her from the White House. And in fact, she did win the popular vote. Whether Sanders could have or not is, is sheer speculation at this point, and I don't think it does us any good to speculate as a party. I think we need to come together over who are the candidates for next time, who are the candidates for 2018 and 2020, um, so that we can really be unified behind those policies that we all agree on. Pat, uh, Donna Brazil said, look, this starts locally. What Democrats are learning is you go to the local, at the state house elections, Virginia. Is that the magic in these elections? Go local? Sure. And I think in the last eight years, uh, the Republicans have picked up 960-some state legislative seats up until Tuesday, had picked up, I think, 12 governorships, the House and the Senate. That That's certainly certainly the the way to go. But I still think the bigger problem for the Democrats is their agenda right now is being driven so far to the left that they will never get elected nationally with that kind of agenda. Just there's, It might work in the city of Chicago. It might work at Berkeley and it might work in, in New York, but it doesn't work in a whole lot of the rest of the country. And this still, to a great extent, is a very rural country. It's not all urban. Well, and I'd say the same is true about the Republican Party. And that's we need to look at that as well. I want to come back to one comment that was made earlier, and and I know that you're concerned about uh, having a a woman's accusations ruining a a man's career and a man's life, and I would not say that there's an eye for an eye in any kind of way justifying, but let's let's not overlook the fact that many of these men, whether it was uh, Roger Ailes or anyone else, ruined a woman's career because they would not give in to sexual pressure. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We are going to talk about a tax plan coming up. You don't want to miss it. You're listening to Beyond the Beltway. Welcome back to Beyond the Beltway. I'm Paul Lisnick sitting in for Bruce Dumont tonight, and I'm joined by Nick Kacharubis and Marge Halperin and Mike Miller and Pat Brady. I want to turn to the tax plan. There is now a House plan. There is a Senate plan. Uh, They are more similar than not actually in a lot of features, Mm -hmm. but all the media has concentrated on what uh, the the problems with it are. Mike, you're an associate professor of economics at DePaul. This is your world to be sure. Democrats say there are a lot of middle-class people that are not going to get a tax break here. This is for the wealthy. What's your view of the plan? Well, I I think it was uh, somebody made that accusation and there was a Whoever does the stuff for the Washington Post that gives Pinocchios, they gave four Pinocchios to that statement that there will be all these people in the middle class who won't get. Well, let me just say, uh, Dick Durbin was hit with that, and his answer was that might be in the beginning. But the the reason that Democrats Uh, say that is because a lot of the benefits that they are getting get phased out. Yeah, that's true. Over time. That that is correct. And uh, our tax laws are a mess. They should be simplified. There should be fewer brackets. There should be a lower, if maybe even, in my opinion, a non-existent corporate tax rate. But, you know, something lower and more competitive would make sense. Um, so I, there's so many, and some of is the this deductions. A break for, is it a break for the middle class? Yes. It, it, it is, I should say, it, it's an improvement in efficiency. It gets us the money that we need in a more efficient way. Well, we don't have to waste hours and hours. And, and even with myself, I have to go out and buy TurboTax just to do my taxes. And I have a very simple tax return, but I'm afraid to make a mistake, so I have to buy TurboTax. It would be a lot easier if I could just fill out a, a more simple form. Is and there's a question, it gets you the money you need faster, but does it get you as much money? Maybe I need to pay more if that's what would be the right amount. Maybe, because uh, I think there's all kinds of deductions which are absolutely, they're nothing but politics in the first place. And, and if we would phase them out and give, and the thing is that from what I could tell, 
based upon the standard deduction you would get, the 24000 or whatever, that I would just about break even, and I make a pretty good buck. But, you know, there's a, the one thing that, that is the heart and soul of it, and it's an attack both by some Republicans and Democrats, it'll add $1.5 trillion to the deficit over the next 10 years. I want to sit here and assure you that of all the forecasts that economists make, and I'm a macroeconomist, the most notoriously bad forecasts we make are on the size of deficits going forward. In my classes in money and banking, around the year 2000, in the paper, in the discussions we were having, the question was, what's the United States going to do when it pays off its national debt over the next 10 years and there's no safe investments for grandma and grandpa to invest in because there will be no treasuries, because there will be no national debt? And, of course, we know that that was absolute and complete nonsense. But, Pat Brady, you know, Dem- Republicans are all about uh, – Getting rid of the deficit. And, and I mean, they're, they're the party of conscious spending. Uh, and then you look at this plan, and as Mike says, it increases the deficit. And I know it's basically trickle-down, not my words. Mm-hmm. No, uh, but, right. Yeah. Um, trickle-down economics will take care of all this. That's something we've heard before. Do you, in your heart of hearts, really believe that this is a tax plan that will bring the deficit down over time or pay for the trillion and a half? Well, we're a long way from the final version. True. And this will probably die 20 more deaths before it becomes law, if it, be, if it becomes law. But I agree the general principle, the tax code principles, the tax code needs to be simplified for everybody. There needs to be some kind of middle income tax break. The things they're talking about, the the property tax, the um, state and local tax all. deductions, the the all the other things that, that go into it, they're still negotiating. I, I don't know. I, I The Republican Party used to be the party of we don't want to have deficits, but we have, have appeared to abandon that. Now the Democrats, probably because they politically don't want the Republicans to have a legislative success, are all about the deficit. You know, Nick, you understand politics. And one of the – Pat's referring to the, what's called SALT, the state and local tax uh, deduction, which we all get to do now. Mm-hmm. And the people around the country listening, if you live – pretty much in a blue state. That's kind of what this is about. If you're in a blue state, you probably pay a fair amount of taxes. We do certainly in Illinois. And um, you get to deduct those. Under the uh, Senate plan, that goes away completely. My political question to you, maybe because there are no senators from Republican senators from blue states where that particular factor kicks in. So that's politics kicking in. I mean, yeah, you could say it's politics kicking in, but like any budget plan, I mean, there's things that you have to cut out to be able to make the plan mix. Um, and, you know, but that's one of the most popular deductions there is. It is. It is. But I, I going back to the politics of this plan, I would say, you know, there's an issue of, of right now. I think the bigger issue the Senate Republicans and the Democrats have to deal with is the belief and trust of citizens in what's going on. And they I think the general public is not willing to trust the Senate uh, Republicans or the House Republicans, when they hear the word tax break, when I talk to people, they're saying that people's natural instinct is to believe, am I really going to get a break or not? And I think that's a bigger battle that they has to be cons- you know, considered. March Halperin, when you thought about the uh, health care plan, Democrats got it. People got it. Because you look at that and all of a sudden it's your health care that's kicking into play and people saw whether they would lose their health care or not and, and everybody seemed to back off from it, at least at the time. When it comes to the tax plan, it's a much more confusing issue. And we all understand, as Mike says, everybody wants to file their taxes on a piece of uh, – on a note card. That would be wonderful. But is this a harder pitch to Democrats for them to understand that the breaks being promised here may not be what the president is selling them to be? 
It certainly is more complex. Uh, well, the health care was complex, Trump famously said himself. Um, but I, I, it is more complex. But I think there are some very simple uh, computations that have been made, uh, charts that can show you the impact based on your income. Um, and and I, I'm concerned about whether the deficit I get is a Republican issue traditionally, but how much will cuts in Medicare and Medicaid be used to fill that gap and to pay for this. There is a talk about cuts, and I get that if costs are going to rise, they're not going to rise by as much. That's still a cut. And I would say that it's... No, it's not a cut. It, that, that, that's a, it's not a cut. What, that's the biggest, the biggest lie that we hear funding. out of Washington. No, 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 no. Well, that, that, is, that is the biggest lie we hear in politics. Well, let me finish my rationale, which is that um, the cost of that, it's just like the, the idea of uh, dump Obamacare. The cost of that to society and to the government is huge. We're expanding el- the eligible pool for uh, Medicare right now. Why would you cut back funding for that when you have a record number of people reaching age where they're going to start to rely Pat, on there are cuts like, there are cuts like There are cuts like low, or I should say, Mike, right the lo- student loans. And these are some popular yeah. things for people. Yeah. Is that going to sell? Yeah. Uh, well, it should. They should want more. If, and, uh, there's a couple, for example, that I take that my, son, my sons can't take. My sons are in Obamacare. They have to buy their insurance with after-tax dollars. At the university, I don't have to. I get to deduct the cost of my health insurance off the top of my income without paying taxes. That's preposterous. Well, here's the, here's the is, thing this, on this you. Is a, this is a complex topic, but we're going to continue with it because we need to. Because this, is, this, this affects everybody in the economy. We'll do that on Beyond the Belt. Stay with us. Beltway, we're coming to you from the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. I'm WGN TV political analyst Paul Lisnick. I'm sitting in for my friend Bruce Dumont today, who gets a well-deserved break, and I'm joined tonight by a fantastic panel. Professor Nick Kacharubas, he's an associate teaching professor in the School of Public Service over at DePaul University. Marge Halperin, my colleague from WGN TV, where she is the Democratic strategist on the morning news show. She's also executive vice president and partner at the Hawthorne Strategy Group in Chicago. Pat Brady is the former uh, chair of the Illinois Republican Party, and he's chair and CEO of Next Generation Strategy. And my friend, Mike Miller, we need you because Michael is an associate professor of economics at DePaul University. He's got a specialization in macroeconomics. That's what we're talking about. He's also the faculty member with the College Republicans and Young Americans for Freedom. Mike, I introduced you last because I want to come to you first. I want to stay with the tax plan. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's all how you sell it. Uh, when they first, when the House first announced their plan, they said every American was going to get about $1,782, I think, about a year in their pockets. Right. I believe analysis have brought that number down to about 500 mm-hmm. at, at this point. Uh, but different points like the estate tax, the Republicans keep saying this is going to help all those small farmers around the country who can't pass their businesses on. And uh, I guess when you look at the numbers, it's a total of about 80 yeah. uh, in the entire country that that deals with. So my point is, when people People say this is a tax cut that essentially helps businesses and the well-to-do. It's not that the middle class don't get anything, but it's really not about them. You're the expert. What do you say? That's, that's true, but we're, we, we spend so much time on this particular tax. Would you want to guess roughly what percent of the total revenue of the federal government comes from the estate tax? Oh, a very small amount, 0.02 or something. Percent. Yeah. Less than 1%. Less than 1%. But then why, but but here, then why but, address it? Okay, but here's, here's the issue. It's, in my mind, it's a matter of fairness. And this idea that only because it involves 80,000 people or some small number of people, we have completely changed practically society with regard to transgender. 
What percent of, of, of human beings on this in the United States are transgender? It's something like four-tenths of one percent, some tiny, small number of people. And we're prepared to make changes to make their lives better. For some reason, we, we seem, if we have something which is patently unfair, that these are people who amassed a bunch of money and paid taxes every step along the way. I just want to, you just, I just, just made money. I just want to get a clarification. Are you talking about civil rights of transgender that we care about and concerned, and you're comparing it, it, that I'm to comparing it economic to numbers, taxes? numbers. The idea is because it's so few people, we should be, we, there's no reason why we don't have an unfair tax. Let's just say that I, 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 the apples and oranges it's there, not apples, I don't it understand. Has, it's not to do with we, transgender, we have it has a civil to do with their numbers. Rights. We have a civil rights uh, ethic in this country. That's why we've changed our views about transgender but maybe and a there's lot a, of other people. Maybe there's a fairness African right with Americans regard to this taxes. Well, talk about that. So, but uh, I, that's my point. Is it, it, you keep, I keep hearing people talking about, but it only affects a few people. If it's wrong, it's wrong if whether it affects three people or it affects a million people. It's wrong if it's wrong. You have, you have people that amass wealth throughout their entire lives. They pay taxes all along the way. If they, if they invest the money, they pay taxes on what they earn for that money. And what we essentially tell them is, now that you're going to die, we're going to tax you again. So it's a tax it, on a tax. It's a, it's a tax on your death. But what about, what about the SALT provision then? Because isn't that oh, also I, double it taxation? Is, it is. I, that, there, that's a case. I, and that's why – let's, let's stay on the estate yeah, tax. Sure. Why is death a taxable event? Because here, think of – there's something in economics which is called a, a moral hazard. There's certain behavior you don't want people to do. The last thing you want to do is pass a law that makes it more likely that bad, pay, that bad behavior is going to occur. This would create the moral hazard. What should somebody who is really rich do with their money rather than give it to the government once they die? I'll tell you one thing they could do. They could hold Bacchanalian parties and just spend like a fool and, and spend it on the stupidest damn things you can think of which do nothing good for society, but at least the government won't get its hands on it. Nick, fellow professor, you're at the same university, but let me ask you that Mike did seem to draw a comparison. I understand his point. He's saying it's about numbers, a small number of people affected by the state tax, and the transgender point is it's a small number of people. But it is about civil rights versus economic rights. Your professor, are those? is that a fair comparison, or does a line need to be drawn? Well, I'm going to specifically clarify. I think what Mike was saying is he's saying that that when it comes to civil rights, uh, I think he's saying that a lot of people are willing to jump on that bandwagon. And, and, and I think he was equating the number of people involved in those two things. Um, I, I don't. I, I I know. I've known Mike for many years, and I would never. I, I don't think he was meant to be disconcerting to anyone who is transgender. No, it had he nothing was, to do was, with no, no, it. I'm, I'm, I'm just asking yeah. if that is a fair comparison of a civil rights discussion if it affects yeah. a small number of people and an economic discussion if it affects a small number of people. I, I think they're two different types of topics. And um, they, people, any, depending on what you're connected to, you're going to be passionate about, uh, about both of them or either one of them, depending on which one affects you. I think civil rights people get more passionate about because they can, they can draw a comparison to where economics, because you may not be one of the 80,000 who might pay a t- state tax, well, that doesn't bother me. Uh, but I think Mike brings up a point that is, is, uh, should be heard. Pat Brady, let me, let me just ask Pat, well, you, your reaction to the deadline the president is putting on it. He wants it by Thanksgiving. Congress is saying, eh, maybe the end of the year. You know, this, this is big stuff. 
Why is the deadline so important? You're an, you're an election strategist, so is that what this is about? This is 2018, and people need to see money in their pocketbooks before they vote? I, I don't know why you would do that. I wish you would work more closely with the members of Congress on both sides yeah. as, on a legislative yeah, agenda. Exactly. That's been one of his big failings is I don't think he understands how the process works, and he wants to be an outsider. That's great, but I want some things done at this point. Now you're an insider. But And on this whole tax discussion, particularly mainly from – or not mainly, all the way from the – I wish for once we would hear – we just don't want more taxes. We want more of your uh, tax dollars. We want more of your hard-earned money. At some point, the Democrats are actually going to have to start t- about efficiencies in government, and why don't we try to spend less? And the one thing I will give President Trump credit for with rolling all these regulations back or not creating new ones, he's made it, or at least attempting to make it, less expensive to run the government and for businesses to operate. I think I wish that was more a focus of the discussion that's how much are we going to tax, but Maybe the discussion be maybe we could make this government run better so we don't need more taxes, mm-hmm. or maybe we should have more taxpayers, more jobs. So I, again, I wish the focus was more on that than it's always about how much tax. And Mike, you're you're the expert here, so I can't. I'm so thrilled to ask you this question, which is this plan calls for reducing the corporate rate from 35 percent, whatever it is, down mm-hmm. to 20 percent, mm-hmm. and yet a lot of the experts, Democrats, will certainly come out and say corporations pay that or less anyway. Mm-hmm. So by simply formalizing what they're already mm-hmm. doing, are you now giving them an opportunity to pay even less than they're no, already paying? Well, it, it certainly you would end up paying less, but they're confusing one very important factor. Decisions to an economist are made at the margin, not on average. There's no doubt that I look at my marginal tax rate, and it's different than the final tax rate that I pay the federal government. That would be my average tax rate. But what, what affects my decision to work or not work the next hour is the marginal rate that I pay on the next marginal dollar that I get. So the 35% is the key number. It is the marginal rate. Just somehow the 39.5% doesn't seem to be a, the same bugaboo. The fact that nobody pays 39.5% total, they pay something smaller because they get the lower rates going on, on the way up. So the, the 35 number is the right number. And therefore, if ours is 35 and it's the highest in the world, this will lead companies to try to go to other places to pay a lower marginal tax on the next dollar that they make. Let me just also ask you briefly, ask you the uh, alternative minimum tax. Is that a break getting rid of that? Is that I, a break for the wealthy? I think so. I, it was, it was, talk about something that was geared. If I, under, if I heard it right, it was geared at something going after something like 500 households. The whole point of passing the law was that there were these 500 households or some number, really, really tiny number that wasn't paying enough taxes, and they went after them, and then they didn't adjust them. It's just a mess. We should all be under the same tax rules. We're all citizens. The question about a state tax that I want to bring back to you is... I'm going to have you bring that back as soon as we come back. We're going to be back with Beyond the Beltway. We're back on Beyond the Beltway. I'm Paul Listnick sitting in for Bruce Dumont. March Halperin, uh, you got concerned about this double taxing idea. Yeah, because I, I think you made a really quick statement about how uh, people have already paid taxes on their estate by the time they die. Mm-hmm. Well, not necessarily. We don't, haven't seen Donald Trump's taxes yet, but we're pretty sure that he didn't pay a lot of tax despite his maybe billions of to. dollars. Well, this is the I thing. There are loopholes. The point is there are loopholes. Mark, you can't. You listen, I'm not a Trump fan, but you cannot make statements like that about who paid what in income. You have no idea what he paid in income. And I'm not a Trump fan. So let's Keep he it said on facts himself. we know. He was you smart know, and he did not pay taxes. But yeah. at any rate, your your point is that that they've they've already been taxed on this as double taxation. I don't think so. I think there are a well, lot of loopholes. The way the loopholes. estate tax works is that if I mean I think that's a true true is in the sense that they earn they 
however they earned that money, they either paid it in income taxes or they paid it in capital gains taxes while they were alive. And now that they want, now that they're di- they're di- they're dead and they're transferring it to a family member, they have to pay. It's like fifty percent almost in in Unless estate tax over over five million or over or eleven million. Yeah, it's, it's a big issue. It is. It's a big issue in the farming communities. Yeah. That's where it's yeah. a big issue. Where the land, the, land, the land is worth. They had this big. The they have to sell it. Yes, it's a huge issue in Iowa. Well, so just, bra- just briefly as one more, I just want to get everybody's sense. Is this tax plan, first of all, yes or no, is it going to pass? I know it's not done yet, but will they pass something this year? Will the middle class be happy? Pat Brady? Uh, I, I don't know if it'll pass, and I'm not sure. Hopefully the middle class will be happy, but as a Republican, politically, it's good to see the Republicans leading on this issue, the people that are actually talking about it. And there's room for compromise here, our Republicans, and I think this is our strong suit. And the Democrats right now, all, all they want to do, we want more of your taxes. At least the Republicans now are trying to reach some kind of compromise where everybody gets treated fairly and we get some reform of this tax the this tax code that is way too complicated. Mike Miller, as, a, as the economist, I, can yeah. they bridge the gap between I, the differences? I hope so, the otherwise the, Demo- the Republicans are dead. Uh, but I want, I, one, I want to end with one interesting number. Uh, I, I, lots of people, especially Democrats, tell us in the 1950s the marginal tax rate was 92%, and in the 60s it was 70%. And why don't we go back to those days, and we can still grow like we did in the 50s. No matter what the marginal top marginal tax rate is, the federal government has never in the history of the income tax, taken more than 18 to 20 percent of gross domestic product in taxes. When tax rates go up, people change behavior to avoid paying the taxes. So you can everybody wants higher taxes. I heard people during the the Democrats wanted a 70 percent marginal rate on the richest people. This won't do anything. People avoid taxes legally. Mr. Trump's tax person. Who, where he didn't pay any taxes, what you said, they have what is called a fiduciary responsibility. It is their job to look out for their client. If his accountants did not find every possible deduction that is legal and get him the lowest tax laws, they were violating the law. They were violating the trust that is necessary of a fiduciary. So all that Mr. Trump did, and again, I'm not a Trump supporter, he had his accountants come up with the best possible tax return, and I will pay whatever I owe. We and don't the know fact that that We've was, never seen You don't return. know that, and the IRS should know never that. Then go it. after we them. We don't know that. Call the IRS well, and tell I'll, them my that point they point was, when you have Trump. a large estate, there are a lot of ways to avoid taxes. Yes, that was my legal. original point. And Marge, let me, let me ask you. If the Republicans are able to pull off a plan, it would be passed mostly by Republicans, but if it is good for everybody, let's just hypothetically, it, there's a middle-class ta- middle tax break, as a Democratic representative here, do you look and say, I don't want it to happen because I don't want them to get points? Or do you look and say, look, if they can pull off a plan that works, so be it? If they can pull out something that really represents a, a bipartisan compromise and that protects uh, Medicare, Medicaid, and the, and the other things that help a middle class and those who are below the middle class, then I would be for it. My point about all the loopholes for, for the richest estates is that they're – does need to be some simplification. Nick, politically, if they don't pass a plan, uh, even Pat Brady has said the legislative uh, end of things for the Trump administration hasn't been strong. The president says he's done more than any president, I think, since Lincoln. Um, but that being said, um, what is uh, the politically, Trump and that's face? where I would go. Politically, the administration. You asked if whether the House and Senate can pull it off. I think they have to pull it off before the midterms if they want to have any 
if they want to put position themselves in the best shot for the midterm elections. But the, the only and that's the conventional wisdom right now. And I think we can throw conventional wisdom out the window. What we've seen in the last couple of years, the Democrats right now, both here in Illinois, across the country, they stand for more taxes. And right now, people from property taxes to sales tax, every kind of tax, people are fed up with taxes. So if we can be seen as the party of against Overtaxation, like we are overtaxed here in Illinois, I think we'll do okay. In the Even if it means Republicans deficit. want to paint Democrats as a party that stands for more taxes. Well, you do. I mean, you, you you will not. not there's the no. There, no. Listen, the, the Democratic Party in, the, in my lifetime. That's all they wanted, and they do it here in Illinois. They do it nationally. They are the party of big taxes. Anyway. Always have been big taxing, big spending. That's and, what and Republicans the, what, would what, like to say. And right now, well, the give me Republican an example where you haven't been. Is the party of. Uh, uh, sexual harassment. It's oh, the party. Oh, okay. Before, it, yeah, yeah. before we go off in this direction, That's why we don't like to paint we'll each take, other. You speak we're going to move yourself. on from the tax plan, but Mike Miller, I'm a, you're our expert. I'll take, make one final point uh, on the finances. That's no, no, all right. Well, we, all right. So let's, Nick, let me come to you because one of the distractions throughout all of this, the Russia investigation, always in the news and uh, these days, uh, Trump administration saying they hope this ends soon, but a lot of news about Mike Flynn lately and, and maybe even Mike Flynn's son and who's going to flip. My question is, how much of a distraction uh, is this Russia investigation to this legislative agenda they can't get through. It seems as though Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell are just all steam ahead and let this Russia thing do what it will. Yeah, I mean, I think as legislative leaders, they are focused on that. I think they're the only ones compartmentalizing. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, I think the Trump administration, as much as they might publicly say that they're not affected by it. I mean, I think the whole administration is in disarray uh, as far as the executive branch goes. And I I do think that... um, Mitch McConnell and uh, Paul Ryan uh, have to continue to have a legislative agenda until whatever comes out comes out, and then they have to deal with it as their duties as uh, Congress. Pat Brady, even today, the president, when asked about, you know, did Russia hack, uh, simply said that Vladimir Putin told him we didn't do it, and he means what he says, uh, and, but, he, but, but the president says he trusts our intel, especially the folks he's appointed to all of this. It seems to be pretty clear, almost pretty objective on Democrats and Republican side, except for a few, that the Russians did hack uh, our, our system. Are you bothered as a political strategist that the president just doesn't accept it, acknowledge it, and then say we need to make sure this never happens? Again, I'm more bothered as an American that a, a president, while on foreign soil, would take a view inconsistent with our entire intelligence community or both our House and Senate and say that he believes a former KGB colonel who was stationed in East Germany during the height of the Cold War over our intelligence community. That that really bothers me. And some of the people, the actual military and people that know a lot about this, like Senator McCain, were outraged by it. He made other comments about mm-hmm. the United States and the, and the dealings with China. And I know people like the outsider stuff, but it's time to grow up and remember your commander in chief and your well, respons- United, United States, States of America, <laughs> and you're responsible for a lot of people outside our borders too. And th- this, to me, he had a pretty good trip up until the last minute when, when he blew it in the last couple of days with some of the statements he made. But I, the, put the politics aside, we're Americans first. And uh, when we're Americans first, you, you take care of American interests. When you're overseas, you don't criticize. You know, country. Mike Miller, when the Paul Manafort uh, indictment and some of these other folks that, that they've been talking about doesn't really hit close to the to the Oval Office, but uh, but Mike Flynn brings it to the Oval Office uh, well, with, with, with another, the allegations yeah. we're hearing about. My question yeah. is: you're, you're conservative in your views. Do you look at this and say uh, this is a problem for the White House uh, going forward, or do they weather this storm? I think they'll get through it because I I think if there were evidence of what has been the word they keep using is collusion, which has no no legal meaning. Alan Dershowitz has made that perfectly clear. There's no law against whatever the heck this thing is called collusion. 
but it could certainly hurt him in terms of reputation, and that will hurt in the, the midterm elections. But am I the only – in terms of this Russian hacking, I, I know this is something that we all agree supposedly that 18 groups said that it was the Russians. 17. But 17. Thank you. Uh, and and um, that, uh, that right-wing magazine called The Nation – course, I'm being sarcastic, had an outstanding article about the hacking of the DNC. And it seems after reading that whole thing that the probability that someone hacked from the outside from as far away as Russia, the DNC computer, is near zero. That they have all this information on the download rate of everything that went out of the DNC computer. And the only thing that could possibly do that would have been something physically attached to the computer which would have been some kind of a thumb drive. This is what, and I know you're shaking your head, this is what the article argued. This was done by the nation, and they're astounded that there's not more investigation as to, and we, I guess the government never actually got its hands on the DNC computers because they wouldn't give them up. No, they were at, but, they're at the Clinton's house. Yeah, but, but <laughs> that, that somebody that looked at the amount of data that supposedly was downloaded could not have gone over the wires from here to Russia at the rate it was downloaded. I agree. With, you know, I read that, read that article. The thing is, the Russians have been trying to tap into our elections for yeah. 50 oh, yes, years. It's nothing new. And, of course, and, they're, pro- and, and they're probably still trying to Absolutely. tap into the election. So this should be a concern. Let me, let me, let me, let let me say this, too. Collusion between... Well, between Trump and the Russians. Let me, let me, let the, let me let the, let's, let's Marge give a Democratic perspective can here. can parse this in a, in a couple of different ways. First of all, I don't know what wires you're talking about, but second of all, I, I think the issue here is that it's being investigated as to how the Trump campaign may or may not have had direct contacts with Russians and coordinated their release and timing of information that was harmful to the Clinton campaign. How that information was secured and how they got it is being investigated. I don't have the answer to that, but we are seeing Mueller evidence that Mueller is getting closer and closer to the president when he gets, he's interviewing the co-chairman of the Trump campaign. He's interviewing Stephen Miller, who knew, Papadopoulos said Stephen Miller knew that he was trying to make that relationship. We know Jared Kushner set up and attended a meeting with a Russian operative. We, I don't have the answer. I don't know how those pieces go. I don't know how those pieces go together. And I couldn't say whether there's evidence, but I'm waiting to find out whether Mueller finds it or not. And we watch them, and it's an independent investigation going on. Nick? Uh, uh, go ahead, no. All right. So uh, Let me say this, and I used to be a prosecutor for a living with the Justice Department. I agree that we don't have evidence now to firmly, certainly tied to the president, but it's getting a little closer than it was a couple weeks ago. All right, we'll continue this conversation. This is Beyond the Bill. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. We're back on Beyond the Beltway. I'm Paul Lisnick in for Bruce Dumont. And I want to talk about the renewed issue because of the instances of violence that have occurred over the last period of weeks and months in this country. Uh, The notion of gun control always 
being addressed. Some would say it's Democrats that bring it up every time there is uh, something that happens. But the most recent situation, of course, in Texas, Sutherland, Texas, uh, where several people in a church uh, were killed as they were worshiping. And that appears to be the work of certainly a deranged individual. Um, But prior to that, you had the Las Vegas shooting and and on and on. Um, Marge, Halpern, let me come to you and just say, is it that every time there's an instance, Democrats look and say, we're going to reopen this discussion. It's time to get more gun control. In this situation, the president says, this is about a deranged guy. This is not about gun control. I, I don't see how it can't be about both, for one thing. And I don't understand the attempt or reasonable success that the NRA has had in deflecting gun control conversations by bringing up the need for better mental illness uh, policies around mental illness and guns, although every time any kind of proposal comes up to the Congress, they reject it. And and frankly, going back to our earlier conversation, both about health care and uh, uh, government policy in the Trump administration, uh, we're not improving our mental health care. Every chance they get, they diminish the cost of coverage for mental health care, it's going to be cut significantly under any of the Trump care proposals that have failed but been supported by Republicans. So um, I don't see why it's one or the other. This is not the thing that's going to fix it. But even if you want to talk about mental illness and gun control, there are opportunities, uh, well, in this case, literally, you know, to, to look at history of uh, domestic abuse and tie that to gun it's control. It's already tied to it. You can't, get a gun. Can't. you can't get a gun if you've been involved That's in domestic true. abuse. They should have to surrender the guns they already own. And they do. That's right. That's the law. That Unless somebody falls through the cracks is what happened it, in the well, Texas see, situation. See, that's why I'm not sure this is actually a mental health issue. I, I, I think he's an evil person. I, thank God he's dead. Um, but it was a case of the, the laws were there. He, he lied when he got his guns. I, I, I've bought a gun, and you, it states right there, have you been, uh, been involved in domestic? And he lied. He so cracked he his it. child's skull. Yeah. He, That's how. There were records that, of that. Those, you shouldn't have had a Air Force about Those guns he had, he had illegally. So it wasn't gun control. No amount of, amount of gun control was going to stop him from lying the way that he did or from the Air Force and not for, uh, forwarding the information. That, that's something they should have done. There's nothing in the law that would have changed the fact that he got his guns other than actually enforcing the laws that already exist. Nick Ketrubis, when, when um, some instances that involve a foreigner happen, one of these recent shootings, the president is quick to say it's immigration policy. We need to talk about that. Um, when it does involve some of these other issues like um, uh, mental illness or something, the president says it's too early. We have to grieve. Uh, Democrats have said there's a lot of uh, you know, hypocrisy in that. It's okay to talk about uh, bans and, 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 and uh, terrorism. It's not okay to talk about gun control. You understand politics, just politics? Uh, well, I think, personally, I think that there's this issue, we need to solve it. I know there, there, there is an issue with guns in America, and I'm not necessarily saying that that means, uh, you know, all gun control laws should be enacted, but uh, when it comes to things like the... the um, the assault ban uh, or the assault rifles and, and, and things like that. I mean, do, does the Constitution guarantee all those things? I don't know. I don't necessarily agree. I'm not a, a diehard that all these things have to. But I understand the concern from the other side of if we go down any slope, it's a, you know this political pressure that it's, it's too much of a slope. Um, as regard to your comment about Trump and the politics, I think, I think certainly he understands – or, or at least his advisors understand the politics of this organization or, or, or this, this issue in Congress and in, in, in 
our society, and he's dancing around it. I, I think we need to stop the political dancing on this issue and say let's put our heads together to come up with a solution because it's too often that these issues are coming up. So Pat Brady, Nick uh, had the word uh, organization come out of his mouth that may have been Freudian because it might have been the NRA he was thinking of. And let me, let me ask you, you know, you, and you know polls around the country. Mike, you understand polls. But, Pat, when you look at the polls, it, it, people want background checks. This is a popular thing. Uh, it's a popular Exist. thing to have some control. But, my, but Democrats want to tighten things. My question to you, Pat, is it does seem as though Congress doesn't want to deal with any of this. It's suggested, certainly by Democrats, it is because of the control of the NRA. They're losing funding. They're willing, they're, they fear losing funding. They fear losing support. As a former chair of a Republican Party, is there a time when you look at it and say, you know, we shouldn't care about that? Or, unfortunately, the, the corporate powers that be – often they rule the day. Uh, I think that we probably need an effective counterbalance to the NRA. We need to get some organization together that can actually balance out the discussion because I think it is a little too one-sided, but that's a really oversimplistic view. I think we here that live in the city of Chicago can give you a great example of how we have, the, I think, the third most stringent gun laws in the country. We have probably most murders per capita. Yes, we do, Marge. I, I, I guarantee you that fact. I'm shaking your head. But <laughs> we let me did finish. when they were let passed. Me, let me but they I know, but it's down to third. Maybe fit. But, but the, the bigger point, up, I, the I, bigger I, point, when you ask the political question, we have a, a city of Chicago where all these murders are going on. You go out 40 miles or even south of I-80 here. I'm sorry to be so regional on it. We have such a diversity of opinion on what should be done if you go. Uh, and the burbs here, people like their guns. They don't want any restrictions. But people that live in the city that have to deal with this daily murder rate, they want something done. And I think there is room for compromise on background checks or these bump stocks. But as long as you have an organization like the NRA, it's it's so well organized and so well funded without somebody to counterbalance that's equally well funded and organized. It just doesn't get done. Even because President the Obama, after Newton, people can who get... have the guns legally, right. that is exactly not the problem. Right. Exactly. You can give people like me. I have them legally. You can give us a thousand guns, and there won't be a single additional. Well, then murder. maybe this sends you get one Jamoke, one gun, and he'll kill well, a bunch of people. It's most, not correct. the guns, but the, the the to the murder problem here. The guns that are used in most of these crimes, what the mayor says, they coming they're coming from other places. That's they're right. Not. They're coming from uh, from Indiana yeah. states yeah. that yeah. don't yeah. have. Yeah. Here's what's interesting yeah. about it. Uh, there, you know, when President Obama talked about it, oh, just go right over to Indiana. So there's this uh, guy, this commentator, comedian named Stephen Crowder. So he actually went to the exact gun shop that President Obama talked about and to the gun shows in Indiana, and he wanted to buy a gun without having a background check. And they just they laughed at him. He said, what's wrong with you? You want me to commit a, a felony? And the guy said, I, I just want to buy a gun, and I don't want a background. He said, he couldn't do what supposedly everybody can do, go to Indiana and buy guns and bring them back to, in, to Illinois. You can't just go and buy guns without a background check. So you, know, you can't it, you know, even do it in a, in a show. The only place I could do it, if I give my son one of my guns and I give it to him and I said, I don't want it anymore, we don't have to have any background check on that. Other than that, any time that I would buy a gun from anybody else, there should be a dealer involved. Should, Mike, should you be allowed to own any kind of weapon you want? And I'm talking about an assault weapon or something when well, people assault, say— that doesn't even make—that's just a made-up term— the, the well, you thing know is what called people an AR. When they call yes, it. I do. I know what they're talking about. And I've shot an AR-15, and I've shot an AK-47. They're fun. I'm sorry. They're fun to shoot. But you know, a, 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 an, AK, an AR-15 is only one tiny thing greater than a 22. You, you, you know what a 30 six is, a hunting rifle? 
Nobody ever talks about those. You know that, of course, a hunting rifle. They shoot elephants with those things. Or, yeah, you, a hunting rifle has a 180 grain uh, uh, bullet. The the AR-15 has a 55 grain. There's a, the, people somehow think that AR and AK have special killing abilities. They have no special killing abilities. They just look cool. It'd be like taking a Volkswagen and putting on a kit car that looks like a Ferrari and think that I have a Ferrari. No, you don't. You just have a Volkswagen that looks like a Ferrari. And, a, and, and what, the idea that somehow you're going to decide what kind of gun I want when that gun has no special ability to kill, why would you get to decide what kind of gun I want? I, I think maybe you have, all of you have bigger houses than I do. I have a whopping 1,400 square feet. If any of you have more than I do, I think you ought to give it all up and get into a smaller damn house and not hurt the environment. That's I'd my, like to, how I, about that? Mark, you have I, a big house. Uh, you have, uh, no, I, I just moved to a condo. I've downsized, so there you go. So, no, I, I would like to be, uh, I'd like to back up, because you say a lot of things very glibly, but they're not, uh, they pass over some other facts. Yeah, the only loophole in Indiana is a private seller. Well, right. those gun shows are all booth after booth of private sellers. That is the gun show loophole. No. When you have a private seller at a gun show, look it up. Private the FBI seller to says a person he doesn't know, it has to be a background check. No, That's what not Crowder at those gun shows. That is he the went... gun show loophole. No. 60% of the guns in Chicago come from Indiana, and there's a reason, and they come from the gun shows. That's what the FBI no. says. I'm reading oh, I I what the FBI the says, but it, and that's how they do it from the gun show. So, Mike, let me, let me just – is there a gun problem in the country? No, is there one? people who misuse gun problem. So then you would be open to laws or Congress dealing with mental health issues, related be issues. Be careful with that. Of course, it, that one thing – I'm just trying to find the common yeah, ground. No, I agree. And, and, and understand that when people – when you talk about mental health, it is such a broad thing. Are you talking about somebody who just maybe has a problem with some depression? Are you talking about schizophrenia? Are you talking about a psychopath, or are you just talking about a, somebody who has a little bit of anxiety? And when you're talking about guns, why would I ever go to a doctor be- and, and somehow say, you know, I've been, I have some depression? Uh, could you treat me? Well, yeah, but I'm going to have to take away your Second Amendment right. Well, then you don't go to the doctor. And and do you want that distinction to be the thing that only thing that we can use to protect ourselves from people who walk into a classroom and shoot children. You know, the, I, that's exactly along those lines, Mark, we should not have watching have. what happened in um, Texas. And listen, I, I believe that there needs to be something done on this. But when you looked at the guy who pulled out his gun and killed the guy, yeah. that, that made, a, AR-15, by made the way. a pretty good argument that people should be allowed to keep their guns because had that guy not been there, this guy would probably be stri- driving down the highway. Well, Mark, even you would agree with that, right? I mean, the guy across the street certainly prevented additional deaths by being able to. I don't think he took him down because there's some question as to whether he, he killed, killed himself. Well, somebody but he didn't had get him already out of taken it. his rifle from him before he was shot. He, he was already being curtailed by others before he was shot is the way I understood it. Um, but I, I, you have, I also have heard the, the sheriff from Milwaukee who says if he walks into a situation like that and he sees a room full of people all pulling guns, he's going to tell his guys to shoot every one of them. He doesn't know if you've pulled your gun to stop the shooter or if you've pulled we're going to take our last segment look ahead to the week ahead when we come back this is beyond the beltway all right we are back on beyond the beltway it's our final segment i'm going to look ahead uh we've got nick kacharubis and marge halperin mike miller and 
Pat Brady. And I'm Paul Listick. I'm sitting in for Bruce tonight. Enjoyed that time, and I hope Bruce is, uh, is enjoying himself. Uh, and I'm about WGN-TV. So part of looking ahead is that the president is finishing up his trip to Asia. It's actually the longest trip he's taken uh, since he's been president. Been in a variety of countries. You might have a thought about how he's done. But the next and final stop the Philippines, where we have a dictator there, uh, Duterte, who is uh, not known for his work in civil rights. Uh, when it comes to uh, prosecuting drugs, apparently he's ordered the deaths of 10,000 people uh, in a recent period of time, and um, the president has complimented him on how he's having, handling the drug problem there. But as he goes to the Philippines, Nick Cacharubis, what might you expect? There are people who are wondering whether he's going to talk to Duterte about civil rights and the importance, or whether he will simply play up to him. What do you think? Uh, based on what I've seen so far, I don't know if he will be able, he will have a serious conversation about civil rights. I think it needs to be had. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I do not have confidence that the president will do that. Um, in, in, he didn't in bring it up in Vietnam yeah. of all places. Yeah. So. Well, one thing, Marge, one thing that, uh, those who are of the democratic perspective, they seem to say, uh, like, uh, the president of China, uh, all these, they're playing Trump. They, they know that to treat him well, he got the state visit, but he got state visit plus plus. Uh, he got extra stuff. And these leaders, from what Democrats look, they say these leaders know what they're doing. You just you impress them, you make him feel like he's the best, and you will get what you want. One of the most disturbing things I heard was uh, NPR coverage the other day where they were talking with um, a former uh, CIA station chief and some uh, policy experts who used to represent the U.S. and China. And they said the buzz going around before Trump arrived was that they were looking for tweetable deliverables mm. and that the lifting uh, uh, or, or reducing the tariff on American beef was one of those, that actually the whole issue about a tariff on American beef has sort of passed, that the market has shifted. That, like a lot of issues Trump brings up, is a 10- or 20-year-old issue. No longer such a concern. The Australian beef market has taken over. Uh, Beef producers from America have found other markets they're pursuing. It's less of a demand, but you could tweet it. And they were, China was preparing ways that they could come up with those tweetable deliverables. And if that isn't playing the president, I don't know what is. I, I, it's one more reason, if, as if we didn't know enough others, why he should put the phone down and close his Twitter account. It's Mike, harming policy. Mike Miller, some who are skeptical of Marge's view would say, look, the president knows he needs help of China to handle North Korea. Right. Of course, one would argue that China has its own concerns with North Korea and that while he wants to use Russia and China to basically assist the United States in this, in this situation, this confrontation, they've got their own issues with North they, Korea they and their own relationships. Do. They're, they're their concern is if North would happen to fall, there would be a massive number of uh, refugees who would cross the river into China and, and seek help. But clearly, I, I think that it's kind of weird that the, the, probably the most evil regime on the world's face right now is North Korea. And it, the only country in the world that could really do anything about it because they sell them almost all the products that that country needs is China. And sometimes you have to get in bed with people you don't like because we have a common outcome. We have a common goal, try to do something about North Korea. And because uh, the alternative is that we're going to it's going to eventually go to conflict. You know, Pat Brady, some people think the president pokes the bear. Uh, Kim Jong-un, leader of North Korea, said recently he called Trump an old 
man lunatic. Trump tweeting today, I believe it was, where he said, why would he call me old? I've never said he was short and fat. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he did call him Little Rocket Man, so I think yeah. he did call him short. But uh, does that give, as, a, as a Republican, does that give you concern in, in the way those, that relationship is uh, shaping? I think that tweet today was childish, and I, I think that the president, I've said it before, I wish he'd grow into the job and start remembering mm-hmm. what he do, does Great. and who he represents. But listen, this goes back to me, the last couple of presidents. With President Obama, we never we didn't treat our allies well. And I know this will get big objection, but when we opened up trade with Cuba, we didn't talk about the 9,000 people sitting something. in the political prisons there. Oh, we never take the moral high ground anymore. I wish we'd get back to the era that the Reagan and the Bushes where we talked in, in terms of the morality and the obligation we have as, as the strongest country in the world to take care of people that, that have problems like this. Now it just seems to be, especially with this particular president, transactional. And I think that diminishes the stature of, of, of this country in the world. And I, I Does it endanger the world? I think it, 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 it endangers a strong word. I, it, it could endanger the world. If, if there's no moral authority coming from somebody, there, there's going to be a vacuum and somebody else is going to take it. And I'd rather see us have that. I'm not saying get, be interventionists, get involved in every war, but we have exceeded the moral authority, it, it seems to me, in the last eight or nine years, that I'd like to see us get back, as we still are the strongest military in the world by far and the strongest economy in the world by far. And we should be that shining city on the hill that Reagan talked about, yeah. an example for the rest of the world. We can have these issues. We can have a diverse economy. We can have a diverse culture and be successful and be strong. But when you send out tweets like we saw today, it, it just diminishes my, I, our country. I happen to agree with you completely, but the Democrats' favorite Republican was the one who called him a fat kid, and that was John McCain. I think he was on the floor of the Senate even. He called him some fat kid. And so, yeah, it's, it's gotten petulant, and it's, I, I wish he would be a— and one reason I could not support Mr. Trump was because of his economic policy, most notably his trade policy. And he well, he's not a conservative. It. He's not a conservative, and I'm a conservative. I, well, I he, talk about liberty and rights and the Constitution. Yeah. He never brings these things up. Ever. This, well, is, this is what drives me crazy. As a conservative, lifelong conservative and Republican, mm-hmm. is when the people on the, the Bannon wing describes it. This is conservatism. No, this is not conservatism not by any definition. I want to take a look ahead at the week ahead. So Trump uh, tweets aside, because once we get a tweet, everything changes. Nick, what are we talking about this week if we don't get any tweets? Mm, tax plan. Tax plan. I agree. Tax plan is the key. And I wish he would get on the bandwagon and take care of the appointments to the Federal Reserve Board. Uh, he did pick a very good choice uh, to replace Janet Yellen, though. I Not wish, an economist, though. No, but I wish he would have uh, kept Yellen. I think she's very confident at what she's doing. But when he was running for president, he said she had politicized the office, and so therefore he couldn't support that, it. Was it about getting rid of anybody that was a, was tied to Obama? Uh, I, I don't. I really don't know. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe uh, this week, though, looking forward, maybe we'll get another indictment. It's always something. We're going to talk about health care also because we've had record numbers signing up uh, for national health care, Obamacare, which I'm happy to call it that again. What's Um, that costing? Despite the lack of effort to promote it and the reduction in cost to help people sign up, there have been a record number signing up. All right, Mike, thanks. What a great panel. Pat Brady, Marge Halpern, Nick Hatcherubis, Mike Miller, thank you for coming in on this Sunday. I know there might be other things you were doing, but I'm glad you were doing this. Beyond the Beltway is a Genevieve production. I'd also like to thank Sam Greenberg, Dan Dorfman, for their assistance in getting this program on the air. I'm Paul Lisnick from WGN-TV, sitting in for Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago.